Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Please be seated. And those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying in here with us, invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42. Luke chapter 6. Well, this morning uh, we come to one of the most popular and uh, at the same time most misunderstood, or possibly most misunderstood teachings of Jesus. And for Americans, this this verse right here, this may be the most well-known verse in all the Bible because Believers and unbelievers alike, even people who have never cracked the Bible open, know this verse, and they'll throw this verse out uh, the minute that someone is slightly critical or judgy, uh, believer and unbeliever alike, uh, throw this verse out, and it's game over, right? Saying something like, like, who are you to judge me? Like, like, who are you and your little family to tell me how to do my family? You know, how, who are you to tell me how to live my life? This is my truth. This is my life. Um, and it's the end of conversation, right? And to be fair, I mean, we do live in a very judgy world, right? A very critical, uh, you could even say a, a very graceless world. Um, in many ways, uh, the world is a stage and we're all Simon Cowell. Desk, right? And we, can, we just can't wait to tell everybody what we think. Uh, rendering our judgment. Kent Hughes, may have shared this before, Kent Hughes tells the story of a young man who'd been dating. He's hoping to get married. You know, he keeps dating, hoping to marry soon, but, but every time he brought a prospective wife home to meet the parents, his mother criticized her unmercifully, and she just sized her up and, and wrote her off. And so after this happened a couple times with several different young ladies, uh, one came home or came up with an idea. He said, look, why don't you just try to find someone like your mom, right? Your mom can't criticize your mom, so just do that. So he thought that was a good idea. And so that's what the young man did. Uh, the, the young man looked and looked and looked until like, he finally found his mom's clone. Um, this, this young lady looked like his mom, walked like his mom, talked like his mom, even thought like his mom. And so he brought her home. Um, well, the next time his, he saw his friend, his friend asked him, like, well, how did it go? How did it go with your mom and, and your girlfriend? And the young man said, oh, it went great. My mother loved her, but my father couldn't stand her. You know? <laughs> you know the point is, like, I mean, there's always a critic. Always a critic. Um, and some of you may have been judged or talked about even this week. You know, if not to your face, then maybe behind your back. Uh, we live in a world uh, full of people, and maybe we're one of those people that just love to launch judgments out at the world. And since we interact with this on a daily basis, uh, I think it's pretty important. This is a very practical teaching of Jesus. Uh, it's really important that we, we go to Jesus and see what his teaching actually meant when he said, judge not. So let's go to God's word. And we're going to see the kingdom way of relating to each other. Luke chapter 6, verses God's uh, word. Jesus said, judge not, 
and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And Jesus also told them a parable. He said, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take your speck, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is God's Word. So many things going on in this uh, passage. Um, So uh, when I was a freshman uh, in high school on our high school football team, like I, 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 in many ways, I looked up to and I wanted to emulate and learn from the starting quarterback. Um, things like, like, how do you sell like an actual play action fake? I'm not talking about like the kind of halfway, like the real fake that buys you time as a quarterback. How do you sell a play action fake? How, how do you look off a defender when you're attempting a pass? And, and you know, those types of things happen. We, we learn some of those things, but there were also some smaller, kind of weirder things. Um, that I also learned and started emulating. And I don't know if Pilla does this, but um, for a, a, a long time, the school I went to, the starting backfield had this weird tradition that before each game, uh, they would pluck up some grass from the end zone and then they would stuff it down in their socks. And, and it was so that no, and this is how, you know, high schoolers were poetic in this way. Like, no matter where they were on the field, they always had a little bit of the end zone with them. And it was their job to reunite that end zone grass that was in their sock with the end zone. And so um, it drove them. And it's weird, right? But, but to me, that's what the backs and receivers that I looked up to did. And so um, that's what I started doing as well. I'm a ninth grader. What, I'm not even getting play time, but I've got the end zone, you know, grass. Um, but I did that for the rest of my football career. You know, it, it's, it's not little weird things like this happen all the time, right? You know, kids, we, we find our kids like, you got to watch out what we do, parents, because our, <laughs> our kids imitate us. Uh, it, it's been said that you imitate what you uh, venerate, right? Um, you know, just come to church one afternoon now that it's, well, hopefully when it starts warming up, come to the church one afternoon and you'll see some of the kids in their pickup games. Uh, you know how uh, LeBron James, right, has that chalk thing he does. He throws it up in the air, right? Well, you'll see that. Lots of kids will be doing that out here. Uh, y'all remember when Dak Prescott, Dak, he's, he's first name basis around here. Y'all remember when Dak was uh, becoming a household name uh, Henry Howard uh, showed up to the church one day with his arms all marked up with like pins and paint and stick-on tattoos because he wanted to be like Dak, you know? Um, you know, often girls imitate the wardrobe of the older girl that they admire. Um, and, and this happens in, in virtually every area of life, every area of life. I mean, this even trickles down to, to preachers. You know, it's been said that when Billy Graham was on the rise in his popularity, it was super common for young preachers 
to want to kind of model their preaching after Billy Graham. And so they, they would strike what they call the Billy Graham pose, which is a Bible in your left hand, draping over your, your, your hands, uh, right index finger held up in the other hand, uh, while trying to imitate his southern, you know, the Bible says, right? And that's how preachers preach, because Billy Graham preached like that. Well, last decade, for those of you who know, the, the trend for uh, all the cool preachers were skinny jeans and cool haircuts, and uh, of course, I could not participate in either of those uh, for, ob- <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, and look, we talk about this all the time, about how we imitate our teachers, we imitate who those, those who we look up to. Jesus explains this phenomenon by giving us a rule for all of life. It's verse 40. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And so we've heard the expression, you know, like father, like son. The fruit doesn't fall that far from the tree. Like mother, like daughter. Jesus is saying it is like teacher, like student. And he's reminding us of a very, very basic reality that, that all of us are disciples that all of us are, are students of someone or something, like always. And whoever or whatever we seek to learn from, that is what we will also become like. Vody Bauckham soberingly put it this way. He said, if we send our kids to Rome to be educated, we shouldn't be surprised when they become Romans. Uh, it's just how it, how it works. Uh, when we bow to the world, we can't be surprised we are like the world. And so since students have a tendency of following and and, uh, emulating their teacher, Jesus is calling us to be very careful uh, about who we seek to learn from, where where we're getting our information. And in this context, it's who are we learning about judging from and criticizing others, judging others. Jesus asked, can a blind man lead a blind man? And and it's, it's so easy. In today's, I mean, te- technological day, um, you know, it doesn't matter where you live or how in the backwoods you are, you can, you know, flip on Instagram and you see that whatever that social media celebrity is doing, and you're like, it influences you. Or wherever you get your news, you know, be it CNN or Fox News or somewhere in the middle, you know, it's like you see the talking heads that are reading the news to you. And you say, that's it. That's how I'm going to think. That's what I'm going to do. And all the while, Jesus is saying our, quote, teachers, it's very possible that they are spiritually as blind as a bat and they will lead us into a pit. And so when it comes to how a human soul actually lives and actually flourishes, it's probably best. In fact, it's definitely best. Let's, let's just follow the one who made the human souls, right? Let's go to Jesus. He's the only game in town. Every other guide is a blind guide. And so this morning, uh, Jesus is inviting us. That's what the talk about, the, lead, the, the teacher-disciple thing is. But Jesus is inviting us to come and sit at his feet and to see or to learn the posture that his followers are called to have when it comes to judging, casting judgment, and, and criticism. Uh, so first, first point, uh, what is Jesus not saying when, when he says judge not? What is he, what is he not saying? Well, um, when Jesus says judge not, this isn't just this blanket statement saying, uh, commanding us to, to never assess, never evaluate, to, to never render judgment on anything whatsoever. Uh, no, the fact that he ties in that command to the picture of addressing you know, the log or the beam that's in your own eye 
before you go to address or talk about the speck who is in someone else's eye, tells us that there is a time and a setting in which uh, some form of criticism or some form of, of loving rebuke is appropriate. And besides, you know, throughout the Bible, we're called time and time again to discern between gospel teaching and false teaching. You know, we're called to, to know where the wolves are. Um, throughout the Bible, uh, we're called to, you know, discern, you know, when not to throw the gospel pearls out before the pigs. Uh, you know, we're called to discern, all right, when is it appropriate for us just to shake the dust and to move on? And so it's good to develop critical thinking. Actually, it's what, and this is what uh, John read this morning in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul said, yeah, like, as far as like, judge not, yeah, we, we shouldn't judge the world. Uh, we, we shouldn't judge those who are outside the church, but we are called as believers to, to judge other believers. But, um, well, and point them towards Jesus as we're doing that. But the irony is that so, so often we as Christians, we... We, we judge those outside the church, the unbelievers, those worldly, worldly baddies. We, we judge them like crazy all the while. can be kind of reluctant to confront the people inside the church of their sin. And so Paul says, look, we've got to know this. Look, God's got the outsiders, okay? Like, he, he's got them. Which means you don't have to waste one second of your life on this earth looking down your nose in judgment towards the world. Uh, since God judges them, we're freed up really just to kind of to seek ways to show the grace of Jesus to them and to pray that they too experience the amazing love of, of God in Jesus. Um, so Jesus is, uh, he's not disallowing all judgment here. So that's the first kind of misconception. There's a, a particular type of judgment he is disallowing, which we'll get to that in a second. Um, second misunderstanding is who Jesus is talking to uh, here. You know, as mentioned, our world loves to quote this verse and own this verse. Like, this is like their favorite verse uh, and claim you know, their motto. We don't judge. We accept. We have an, an accepting posture and we affirm. We're going to affirm you. But there's a problem with that. And yes, as we've mentioned, there are many teachings of Jesus that are just general teachings, right? The, the, the call to repent is a, is a call to all people to repent. But here, we're in a section of Scripture in which Jesus is, is only talking to His people. Um, in in a, a section of Scripture in which Jesus is laying out a way of life that for, for those who have been redeemed, for those who have been transformed by the grace of God, and he's calling them to walk in that way. This is the way Jesus' followers walk. And so even the language of that log and speck is draped in a family of God, household of faith language. Because notice itself, not when you go to somebody, but it says when you go to a brother or to a sister. You know, it's, it's, it's talking within the household of faith, which taken together tells us two things. Um, one, if you have been saved by God's amazing grace, then you should be one of the least judgmental people in the world. You know, far from being a, 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 a bigot. You know, one of the most, one of the least judgmental people in the world. And then two, this means unless you've experienced the unmerited love of God in your life, then this right here isn't even in the realm of possibility for you. Uh, so if, if your identity, if our identity isn't firmly in Jesus, 
Like, like He is our hope. He is our identity. Then, of course, you're going to judge people, you know? Then, of course, you're going to size people up and play the comparison game because, I mean, that, that, that's what you do. That's, that's the fallen natural way of humanity. Of course, the world's going to do that. And so we shouldn't be surprised when the very people outside the church who boast this motto are actually, in reality, some of the most graceless and merciless of judges. And we see that, of course, today in in cancel culture. And to be fair, there's some elements of cancel culture that is good, like you need to be held accountable, right? But there's some things like if you don't virtue signal at the right time and in the right way, you're done. Canceled. Okay, that is not what Jesus is is teaching here. All right, so what is he teaching then? Second point, what is Jesus teaching? Um, He's teaching us that there's a difference between critical thinking and then actually having a critical spirit. Uh, Here Jesus is is condemning a judgmental posture towards others. Um, Judging for the sheer pleasure of judging and somehow making yourself feel better. It's that feeling we have when we used to watch Jerry Springer, right? It's like... You know your life is messed up, but it ain't that messed up, and so you feel good. It's that, that spirit is what he's, he's getting at. One scholar said judgmentalism is at best a sign of spiritual cancer, and at its worst a sign of spiritual death. And so this is why Jesus tells us that judgmental people will be judged, and condemning people will be condemned, to which you know, we read the verses like this, and we may think, well, that doesn't sound very gospel-like. Where, where, where's the love in there, Jesus? What's with that? Well, he's getting at the heart, like the heart of the person. A a judgmental posture is telling of the state of our heart. And so it's telling of how aware we are of our own sin, right? How aware we are of our own need of Jesus. And that's why Jesus ties in the picture of the people who run around talking about everybody else's problems, but they don't realize that their problem is like a beam in their eye. Um, Jesus is like, look... You worry about your own stuff. You worry about your own log before you turn your attention to other people's little splinters. And what happens is anyone who's truly seen the size of the beam in their eye and experienced lumberjack Jesus coming through and just chopping that thing down and giving you sight, you know, it changes you. You know, you start seeing the sins of others through with the contact lenses of grace and redemption, right? If you've seen the depth of your sin and experienced the wonder of Jesus taking your sin and then forgiving you of that sin and then giving you His righteousness in its place, like that changes you. It humbles you. But then it also lifts you up with grace-empowered joy because in Jesus, God doesn't see you as a screw-up. You know, God sees you as his son, as his daughter. You have the favor of God in Jesus. And so part of Jesus' teaching here is an invitation to come to him. It's it's an invitation to come and live every day before the smiling face of, of God. And so when that reality pierces us, it creates the exact opposite of a judgmental posture. And so Jesus is getting at, like, if, you're, if you are judgmental towards others, that, that means that you don't understand the gospel, you don't understand your own sin, you don't understand your own forgiveness, you're, you're missing it. What you should realize is, dude, we are prisoners who have been turned loose. 
Because when it comes to ultimate judgment, we see here that there's really only two options. Either Jesus will be judged on our behalf, or one day you will be judged. And it will be crushing. And that's what Jesus is getting at in verse 38. You know, it can be taken two ways. It's if you judge people harshly, well, one, it means that you don't understand your own sin. Uh, you, you're missing Jesus, and that means that you will be judged harshly. Um, but it can also be taken in the positive that if you are in Christ, a new posture arises in us. You know, having received God's grace to us in Jesus, we give grace to others. You know, having been forgiven, then we, then we forgive. And, and we do so with this promise that God's grace will never run out. That either, that either God's judgment towards you is going to be harsh and abundant, or His grace to you is going to be overwhelmingly abundant. Uh, I love this picture of, of this, you know, this story, or you know, shaking and stomping and making sure you can get all of it that you can. Because God's grace isn't like, I was thinking like, it's not like those Lay's potato chip bags. You, know, you, you buy them from the store, and it's like 99% air in that bag, right? Um, God's grace is not like that. Uh, God's grace to us is more like for those of us who, you know, we bag leaves in the fall. And I don't know if you're like me, but like, I don't want to have more bags than I have to. And so I cram every leaf I can into that bag. And you shake the bag and you stomp on the bag and you get down in the bag and really make sure you get as many leaves in there as possible. And there's leaves coming out of the top as you're tying it up. That's what he's saying. It's, it's a lavish grace, abundant grace. As we sang earlier, it is like a fountain overflowing. That's the grace to God in you. So Cyril of Alexandria summarized it this way. He said, Whoever therefore is guided by good sense, like if you're thinking like a Christian, whoever therefore is guided by good sense does not look at the sins of others, does not busy himself about the faults of his neighbor, but closely reviews his own misdoings. Um, and so what he's getting at is it's only, it's only when our hearts have been broken by our own sin against God and that we have been humbled by grace to be able to lead other sinners to repentance. And, and if you don't have that, then judging others is just about condemning other people. You know, it's just about running around saying, you bad. But what we're seeing is that is not actually the gospel. Um, and so now we're getting to what judging or confronting really looks like as a follower. And, and we see this probably the best in the life of David. Joseph alluded to it earlier. You know, we remember, I mean, David sinned big time. I mean, he blew it big time. And yet, instead of repenting, initially, he judged people of the same sins that he was guilty of. A very, he was, you know, super Nathan came and confronted him. And when Nathan was confronted, when, when David was confronted, he responded in repentance to the Lord. Psalm 51, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain a willing spirit within me. In other words, Lord, get this log out of my eye and, and humble me, not, not so that I can be so, more self-righteous, because if I do all my sin, then I can really judge people. No, no, not because of that. He says, no, David says, so then I can teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David finally got it. And that is what it's about as believers. 
It's not about pointing fingers and, and saying shame. I hope you are ashamed of yourself. No, what it means is as a believer, it is pointing those who are ashamed back to the one who bore their shame, Jesus. Right? It's about returning sinners, sinners returning to the Lord. And so it's mentioned earlier, we're not called to judge the world, but we are called to judge and lovingly rebuke believers, fellow believers. And it's, it's never fun to confront someone's sin. If you enjoy confronting someone's sin, then there's, some, there's something wrong with you. Do it rightly, you're doing it in love. And nor is it fun to be confronted, right? It's tremendously painful because eyes are pretty sensitive, and you go poking around in people's eyes and they have a tendency of closing up, right? Well, as sensitive as our, our eyes are, the, the human soul is even more sensitive. And so when we confront someone about a sin, if we're doing it as forgiven believers, we don't dare march in as the self-righteous hope to save the day. And I'm, I'm just here to fix you. Tell me your problems and we're going to fix them. No, no, Jesus calls us to tread delicately with, with clear, self-judging eyes. You know, in Galatians, Paul said virtually the same thing. He said, if someone is caught in any transgression, you've got someone around or in the community that's in sin. What does he say? He says, does he say, you who are spiritual, you need to go string them up and just make an example of them. No. He says, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And I know it doesn't always work out that way, and that's why we have Matthew 18. And that's why we have, Jesus teaches about, hey, you go in gentleness, it doesn't always work out, there's other things to, to do. But just at the very basis of it, this is the posture that we go to, to each other in. So Jesus is inviting us to see the reality of our forgiveness in Him, and then to respond by following His lead, like teacher, like student. And so if anyone had any reason to look down their noses at, at everybody, it'd be Jesus, right? I mean, He just canceled, right? Everybody. And it was, it was Him. And yet, though He did render judgment, and He did condemn those who refused to repent, Though he did that, there was never a hint of the judgmentalism that he's urging us to avoid. No, like he didn't point his finger at the loss. No, he, he wept. He wept. So rather, and I've heard a lot of y'all say this, you know, we approach others as beggars, telling other beggars where the bread's at. Right? Where the life and where the joy is. Well, that's the Jesus way. And it's so different from what you're going to hear out there, right? That is the Jesus way, and that is the way he died to bring us into. And so that's an invitation to come to Jesus. Um, but as we close, um, there are also a couple practical take-homes here. Uh, three practicals, uh, because there's likely three groups of people here. I'm sure there's more, but at least three. Um, so here's some take-homes. First, maybe you are very critical, Maybe you are a very judgmental person. Uh, you are someone who like you size people up, write them off quickly. Um, and maybe it's because you think that you are older, right? And you are wiser and richer and prettier or athletic-er. You know, maybe you think that you know the Bible better. And you look down on all the people who just don't get it like you do. Um, 
you may think you're something, but the Bible would say that you are prideful uh, and harsh. And so I, I don't know how else to say this, but to say Jesus is calling you to repent. I know that you could re- lead this church like nobody else, but Jesus is calling you to repent of your self-righteousness. And so go to Jesus and be made new. You know, the only person on a high horse around here is Jesus. Okay, that's it. Um, second group is, you know, maybe you have repented. Like everything that we've talked about, like that's, you've done that. Maybe you have repented and you have received grace and you're trying to walk that out. Yet, uh, you also know that maybe the Spirit is, has been just nudging you to go confront somebody about something. Uh, but you've gotten cold feet um, because you're scared. Would Jesus cause you to go in love and humility and seek to gently restore that person? Um, this is one of the ways that, that we one another one another. It's not always fun, uh, but we do so in love. So if that's you, I encourage you to go. Even if, it's, even if you have to come to me this week, come to me. Okay, talk, do that. And then third, um, maybe someone ha- has come to you recently. Um, and they, they, were, they were lovingly trying to confront a speck that's in your eye, but you got defensive and you were unwilling to consider that maybe that person sees something in you that you don't see yourself. You know, we got to remember that sin is deceitful, that, that we all have blind spots. Um, Andy Stanley, he said, defensiveness ensures that your past will continue to show up in your future. Uh, defensiveness ensures that your past will continue to show up in your future. No growth will happen as long as you're defensive. And so if a brother or sister comes to you, even if they didn't do so perfectly, don't hold that against them. I mean, they were taking a huge risk uh, in loving you um, by going to you in that way. And and so if that's you, I want to encourage you not to defend, uh, but to listen uh, and pray. And just be reminded of the gospel. Uh, which is, uh, while we were still sinners, full of logs, Christ died to save us and to give us a new way, a better way of relating. Well, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we... This was judged... So that if we are in Him, that's it. Like, our hope <laughs> is in Jesus. Uh, when we come before you, and if, if in what the, the fictional scenario goes, how are we able to stand before you? How are we able to make it into heaven? Then our answer is Jesus. <laughs> uh, Jesus did it. Jesus was judged for us experience forgiveness and love and being brought in. Um, may that, like, this not be like words that we just talk about, but like this actually affect our lives, that we would be forgiving, that we would show grace, um, that we would be far less judgmental, but when we do go to, quote, judge, that we would do so out of love. So, Lord, we ask that you would just, you know, capture our hearts for the gospel in this way. And, Lord, now as we come to your table, we ask that you would Uh, be with us, that your spirit would come. And as we, for just a few moments, we be still uh, and know that you are God. Uh, May you minister to our spirits through your spirit. Lord, may these common 
everyday elements be used to be a means of grace to your people. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.